Um, but we're going to look at this topic tonight, your life really matters. It's a very important, very personal topic, so I'm going to ask God for help. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, please help us. Please help me to speak truthfully. Please help us to hear clearly. And please help all of us to respond rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, imagine getting this notification on your phone. Uh, This really happened in Hawaii a few years ago. Concerns about North Korea nuclear weapons had been in the news and then an alert came out on TV, on the radio and on people's phones that said, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. And for about 40 minutes, everybody thought that they were going to die. People ran screaming from restaurants and cars. Phone towers were just um, clogged up as everybody tried to call their friends and their families. What would, what would go through your head in that moment? And 40 minutes later, they found out it was a mistake. Uh, and the employee that pressed that button, not his best day. <laughs> but what would go through your head for those 40 minutes? This is it. This is the end. My one shot at life, it's over. Put yourself there. What have I got to show for it? Did my life matter? Did it even matter that I existed? Now, wow, this got heavy pretty quickly, didn't it? Sorry about that. Actually, no, I'm not sorry because um, when you think about death, it actually clarifies life. What is life? This thing that we have that seems so precious, that offers so much and then over so quickly. If you're in your 20s or finishing school, that might sound like a long way away. The decisions that you make in the next 10 years, however, will pretty much determine the shape of your entire life. Who you'll be, what sort of person you'll be, what you'll spend your time doing, who you'll do it with and and where... So what is life about? What will your life be about? And does it even matter? That's the question we're asking tonight. And and so if you are new with us, welcome. It's great to have you. As a church, we are determined to face the big things of life, not to drift, not to give in to wishful thinking or sentimentality, but to confront reality and to, to pursue what really matters. Our summer series this January is called uh, Christianity, the Best News You've Never Heard. Uh, Tonight we're going to see that the Bible says life does matter. It matters massively what you do with it. We'll focus on these words from a book of the Bible, um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And we're going to see two facts that show that your life really does matter. Number one, your future, judgment. And secondly, in your past, Jesus. And tonight we're going to see why those two facts in particular show that your life matters And that's what we do as a church. We just look at the Bible, come to God's Word, hear what it has to say. But I'm aware that as we come to this, I don't know that it's news to you that your life matters. Is it really the best news you've never heard, perhaps never heard? Of course my life matters. I'm important. I'm valuable. We're told that every day. First of all, in ads, you know, there's um, L'Oreal because you're worth it. Nike had a big billboard in the middle of Times Square. It's about you. But my favourite is Burger King. Read this. 
you have the right to have what you want exactly when you want it, because on the menu of life, you are today's special. And tomorrow's, and the day after that, well, you get the drill. Yes, that's right. We may be the king. Now, if they're talking about burgers there, that's debatable in itself. But we may be the king, but you, my friend, are the almighty ruler. (laughs) Now, of course they're going to say that. Because if you are convinced that you're worth it, you'll splash more cash on yourself, won't you? But it's more than just ads, actually, isn't it? It's podcasts, it's self-help books, it's school, even preschool. Who here has been taught the importance of self-esteem? Put your hand up. Who's heard about the importance of self-esteem? I know there's more than that. Come on. Is there, we'll flip it around. Is there anyone who's never heard about the importance of self-esteem? You probably don't want to embarrass yourself, but I get it. I think it's, it, there'd be no one because it's everywhere. I wonder if you knew this, though. It's actually very, very new. Have a look at this slide. This is the number of articles that have been written about self-esteem um, compared with another topic. So self-esteem, the white circles, the other topic, the squares. Um, narcissism is the other topic. Uh, in psychology, education and the news, what do you notice? First of all, the news was very slow to catch up. They're a decade later. The idea of self-esteem just explodes from the 70s onwards. I'm going to call it tonight the self-esteem movement. It is so new and it's dramatically changed the way that we think. Why did it happen? Here's why. They noticed that people who had things like depression, anxiety, addictions, relationship problems, all had this thing in common. They had low self-esteem. And so they worked out, if we can just fix this low self-esteem, it'll fix all these other things. It's going to be the miracle drug. Aha! And that idea captured the world. And so you and I have been taught it from preschool up. You are amazing. You're one of a kind. You matter. And so you get books like this for preschoolers. If you can't read it, they'll read it to you. It was not school, but his mum who taught him his most important lesson. What's his most important lesson? Do what feels right to you and love yourself for who you are. Rue promised he would never stop doing all the things that made him happy. Now, just as an aside, I've got a four-year-old and a five-year-old. They don't need to be taught to do what they want to do. That actually comes quite naturally to them. And until recently, the whole goal of parenting was to teach them not to be selfish, to learn not to do what makes them happy, but to do what's right and good and loving. And if you ask people about that, they'll say, yeah, 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 of course, of course. But it's not what we're teaching our kids. The most important thing is to love yourself for who you are and do what makes you happy. Because if you say to someone that they can't do what they want, you're saying there's something wrong with them, something wrong with what they want. And you might hurt their self-esteem, which is the worst thing you can do because it'll cause all these other problems, do you see? Now, I'm starting here tonight uh, because you won't appreciate the beauty, the glory, in fact, of the Bible's news if you think that it's not news at all. Of course my life matters. That's, that's actually the one thing I know for sure. And so what I want to do tonight is burst your bubble. Not the bubble of the, the self-esteem movement anyway. And then what I want to do is rebuild from the Bible something far stronger, something truer, something more powerful, and something that actually brings clarity to what does matter most in life. And so let, you ready for this? Let's burst the bubble of the self-esteem movement. Do you guys see any problem with it? What do you notice? 
Always a safe answer. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, that wasn't actual measuring of narcissism. They did start to then research narcissism later. But is it selfish? That's a question worth asking. Is it, does it actually produce narcissism? Other, other problems? Yeah, it's a, it's a question that actually no one asked at the time, isn't it? Do you have all these other problems because of the low self-esteem? Or is it that if you're depressed, anxious, addicted, have a marriage breakdown, that doesn't help your self-esteem? They got the... Let me give you three problems. You ready for this? Number one, it hasn't worked. Now, one part has. Self-esteem is at an all-time high, at least in research, what people say about themselves. They say that their self-esteem is many times higher than it was decades ago. So that part has been wildly successful, the problem is. It just hasn't helped in any of the ways it was supposed to. And in fact, research is beginning to show that it might have made some things worse. So narcissistic behaviour is up, which is causing problems in relationships. They're up. Entitlement, greed, consumerism, materialism, even, it turns out, addiction and depression, up. And all of this is starting to come out in books like this, Um, So you've got Narcissism Epidemic, that's the book that I got those graphs out of before, and The Big Ego Trip, fantastic book written by a Christian psychiatrist or professor of psychiatry. Now it turns out, that, as my astute friend here has pointed out, they never actually had any evidence that self-esteem was the, or low self-esteem, was the cause of the problems. Depression, addiction, relationship breakdown... It it could have actually been the other way around, that those problems were causing people to have low self-esteem, and so they spent all this effort into fixing the symptom instead of the underlying problems, and people are starting to realise it hasn't worked. But there's another reason why it hasn't worked, and here's a second problem with it, it's because it's ultimately, fundamentally, selfish. And therefore, it's actually ultimately meaningless, it's empty. Let me um, illustrate this. Imagine you're at a funeral... The eulogy begins like this. We're gathered here to remember Frank. Now, I'm sorry if you've lost someone called Frank. This is made up. Um, Frank had great self-esteem. He knew how much he mattered. He never let anything get in the way of that. That's the number one thing you'll actually hear anyone say about Frank. He always did what made him happy. He married Susan because for a while she made him happy. Then, when she no longer made him happy, he left. He was just so true to himself. His kids, in fact, many of them are here today, they'll always remember those precious moments when it felt true to him to play with them. More than that, though, they'll they'll take with them his powerful example of all those times that he didn't let them get in the way of what was important to him. He even set them the ultimate example by leaving them when when they were so young to pursue his true passions. He knew just how much he mattered, didn't he? What an example. He taught us so much about what it means to truly love ourselves. His friends, they knew just how helpful he could be if he felt like it. And who can remember those times when people tried to help him change and grow? What an inspiration he was. He cut that negativity right out of his life. To the very end, Frank made sure that every dollar he had 
every day of every week was spent to love himself as much as possible. What a legacy. Who would want that at their funeral? Do you see, it's an extreme example, but it shows the problem, doesn't it? We are told that what matters is that you love yourself. You matter, so do what makes you happy, what feels true for you. But if you reflect for a moment on the effects of a life lived that way, the the legacy it would leave, you see it's ultimately a selfish life. And because it's selfish, it's, it's empty. You're pursuing a path that has no meaning beyond you. But the third and final problem is that it's not built on anything solid. So imagine you've got a friend and, and they've, they've just given up. They've, maybe they've, they feel stuck, they feel alone, they feel like they're failing, they feel frustrated. And they say, why bother trying? My life doesn't really matter. What would you say to convince them that it does matter? The self-esteem movement would say one of two things. Number one, they'd say, uh, no, 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 you matter because you are amazing. You might not feel amazing, but you are. You are wonderful. You are full of potential. Now reflect with me, what does that do for that person? What does it create for them? Pressure. Because that's actually a lot to live up to. And what if the evidence from my life is not that amazing? What if I'm mostly just very ordinary? On average, everyone's pretty much average. And sometimes, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not even average. I'm just plain bad. And so instead of solving insecurity, it creates it. If I matter because I'm amazing, then what if I'm starting to doubt whether I'm amazing? And so you get whole lives lived just to prove it. Or lives lived on the run from anything that might prove I'm not. And so then, uh, spotting that problem, to avoid that, the self-esteem movement says, oh, no, 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 sorry, you matter just because you are you. Your friend goes, okay, but why do I matter? And the self-esteem movement says, Uh, you don't need a reason. Just the fact of being you, that, that's why you matter. Now, do you know something? That is actually true. It's not because you're amazing, it's because you're you that, that means you matter. But it's true because of God. The Bible says you matter just being you because God made you in his image and he loves you. But the self-esteem movement doesn't try to base it on God or on anything else. In fact, many who teach it deliberately reject God. They take a truth that's come to us from Christianity, but they cut it away from the strong tree that supported it. And many find that in that moment when the chips are down, it no longer holds the weight. Why does my life matter? Crickets. There's there's no answer there that's solid enough to build a life on. In fact, let me just confront you with this a little bit. This will get a little depressing, but without God... Why do our lives matter? There's a man, Richard Dawkins, he spent his life arguing against the existence of God. In one of his books, he says this, In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it. 
nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at bottom no design, no purpose, listen to this, no evil and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is and we dance to its music. If there's no God, do you know what you are? You're a bag of chemical reactions. If I make you happy or if I make you sad, it's pretty much the same thing. It's just the atoms bouncing around differently. Who cares? Why does it matter? Oh, but you say, no, 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 I matter to the people around me. My parents, I'm special to my mum. Yes, but one day she'll be gone. Yeah, but I'll have kids. Yes, but one day they'll be gone. Just as an experiment, can anyone name their great-great-grandfather? One. What's his name? That's why. (laughs) Makes sense. I'll pay later. Um, Do you know, uh, when did your great-grandfather, sorry, your great-great-grandfather probably die? Probably about 100 years ago. 100 years later, not even their own... Yeah, a lot less for you, Jeff. Um, (laughs) A lot lot less years ago for you. No, more, more. Yeah, anyway, sorry. Um, 100 years later, not even their own descendants know their name. This photo that's coming up now is called the pale blue dot. It's planet Earth seen from a few billion kilometres away. Yeah, long before this photo was taken, a philosopher named Nietzsche... Nietzsche? Nietzsche is how we say it, but I think that's not the German. Nietzsche said that... Well, he was famous for declaring that God is dead, there's no God. And let me summarise something that he wrote. Once upon a time, in some out-of-the-way corner of the universe, clever little animals invented proud words like truth and goodness and meaning. That was the most arrogant moment in world history. But it was only a minute. A minute later, that star cooled and all the little animals died. And with them went their proud little words. There were eternities before them and eternities after them. And when they were all gone, nothing was any different. You see, if there's no God, how can you say our lives matter? But deep down, we know that that can't be right. Which means you deep down know there's more than just atoms. There is a God. Let me give you an example. You believe in equality, don't you? Evolution doesn't teach equality. This wildly popular book, Sapiens, which is um, an account of human origins from a purely evolutionary perspective, says, hang on, no, what do you mean that we're equal? The whole idea of evolution is survival of the fittest, the best, which implies that we're not equal. Where do you get this idea of equality? Turn the page over and you find out that the Americans got the idea of equality from Christianity. Because only Christianity can explain why your life matters no matter your ability. There's an old movie called The Born Identity. probably came out the same year you were born. Matt Damon is, uh, very young Matt Damon, is Jason Bourne. And he's rescued from the ocean with just no memory whatsoever of who he is. Now, we know, watching the movie, he's a CIA assassin. He's one of their best secret agents. But he doesn't know, and he's just haunted by this question, who am I? 
And there are these clues in himself. He says, I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six. He's in a, there's a scene, he's in a cafe and he's talking to this woman he's met. And he's like trying to work out who he is. And he's like, there's these weird things about me. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that the waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting on the counter weighs 215 pounds and he knows how to handle himself in a fight. I know the best place to look for a gun is in the cab or the grey truck outside and at this altitude I can run for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Why would I know those things? That's us without God. We, we know these things about ourselves, we just don't know why. We've lost track of who we are, but we cling to these ideas that we know, that life matters, that there's such a thing as equality, and they're echoes of a deeper reality that we once knew, but we've now forgotten. When you reconnect with God, it's like Jason Bourne. Oh, mamma mia, I'm a CIA assassin. That's who I am. That's the message for you tonight. You're an assassin. Now, when you come back to God, it makes sense. I knew my life mattered because of him, because I'm made in his image for relationship with him. That's what happens when you come back to the Bible. And so let's, let's come to the Bible now. Now that we've burst the bubble, let's rebuild something better, something more solid. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this, Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. What I want to draw out for you is two things there that show that your life really matters. Number one, what's in your future? Judgment. The Bible is very clear. You live one life, then there's death, then judgment. Now that's got its downside, to stand before God and to be held account for how we've lived. That, that will not be a walk in the park. But Judgment Day is also good news because it says so clearly life actually matters. First of all, it says that there is a God. The universe is not just atoms. And you matter, no matter your ability, your personality, your achievements or your relationships, you matter just because you are you and therefore you matter to the one who made you. My daughter has this toy koala she calls Katie. Katie used to sing, but she got left in the rain. She's getting old, a bit threadbare, probably covered in bacteria. Does the koala matter? I'll tell you what, apart from my daughter, Katie is landfill. But if we left her behind, we would turn the car around. Because Katie the koala really matters to Bella. Your short life on this tiny planet in a vast dark cosmos would be space junk. Except you matter not to a four-year-old, but to the almighty, everlasting, all-knowing, glorious God of the universe. But why is it God's judgment in particular that means your life really matters? Why God's judgment? Why does that call it out so clearly because it's God's judgment that says not only do you matter but the way you live your life matters let me show you that by comparing it to some alternatives reincarnation the idea of reincarnation is very attractive isn't it it takes the pressure off this is not your one shot you get another chance and then another one and then if you make a mess with a few lives that's okay you'll get it right next time now it's attractive but do you see what it means it means that the life you've got now doesn't really matter. It's like a reusable shopping bag. 
fill it with whatever you like, then just tip it out and start again. No one particular trip matters. Or maybe there's nothing after death. It's even more attractive to many people because it means you can just do whatever you want. If there's no judgment, no heaven and hell, then your life is yours. Get, get good marks, build a career, be a success, or do drugs and kick back. You choose. Read great books, expand your mind, or just watch reality TV all day. Believe in God or Buddha or no one. It, you know, it really makes no difference in the end. We all just die and then we rot. So it's very, people see it as freeing and it makes it very attractive. But if you think about it a moment longer, if the future is just nothing, then it, it really does not matter how you live. Every single decision you make is ultimately meaningless. Now, yes, there are ways to live that don't hurt others. But if you choose just to ignore all of that, why not? If, if this life is it, then there's nothing, then... Rip people off if you like. Get what you can. Sooner or later, they're not going to exist either. Neither will you. But the Bible brings good news. It says that people are destined to die once and then after that to face judgment. We're not just on a merry-go-round and we're not heading nowhere. We're on a one-way trip to meet with God. And the fact that God will call us to account says that what we do matters. It says that God cares what you do. He he takes you seriously. You know, a girl comes home from school and she's upset. Her teacher doesn't care about her, she says to her dad. And her dad tries to get to the bottom of it. What do you mean? Isn't, is the teacher a good teacher? Yes. Does she nah, smile at you? Yes. Does she talk to you? Yes. Well, what's the problem? Well, my teacher never marks my assignments. She never looks at my tests. The fact that the teacher doesn't judge what she does, says something. It says she doesn't actually care about that student. I wonder if you see what I'm saying. Life matters and how you live it matters because God will bring every deed into judgment, the Bible says. Getting that is like Jason Bourne realising who it is. Oh, it makes sense of all these things that God has put inside of us. This, this longing that I have for significance, the Bible says God has put eternity in my heart. This sense that there is such thing as right and wrong, good and evil. We're not just indifferent, Adams. The Bible says he's written his law on your heart. This in instinct you have that life is precious, it does matter. The Bible says yes. And unlike the self-esteem movement, it can explain why. And unlike the atheist who says there's no God, who says nothing you do, no achievement, no relationship, nothing has any significance beyond the heat death of the universe... The fact of God's judgment says, no, there is a future and a future day when everything you do will have eternal significance. Our choices actually, they mean something. They're not a game. They have consequences. Especially your choice about God himself. What you decide there, he will honour. He'll hold you to it. If you say to God, I don't need you, I don't want you, I don't need a saviour, I don't need a lord, that's the last thing I want. On judgment day, that's what you'll get forever. And therefore, your life matters in a way that is not selfish and it's not empty. Do you see it? Because God holds you to a standard that's higher than just yourself. On judgment day, the question won't be, did you always do what made you happy? 
It'll be, did you do what was right? Which is to say, the God who made you, did you do what made him happy? That's actually the authentic life, really. The life that's truly authentic, that's true not just to your feelings, but true to the true and living God who made it all. And so let you in on why I spent a bit of time tonight talking about the self-esteem movement. It's because it's everywhere and it's because it's poison. It's poison to your ability to see the the beauty and the goodness of Christianity because the self-esteem movement says that it's actually a wrong thing, an evil thing to tell someone that they can't do what they want to do, what seems true to them. But Christianity says the life of just doing whatever you want, what seems true, that's actually the definition of sin. Christianity says that's, that's actually selfishness. God holds you to a much higher standard than that. And to see the goodness of that, it helps to see that the culture's approach doesn't work, it's not based on anything, and it's ultimately empty and selfish. But God says that your life really matters, and he says it in a way that lifts you up out of yourself to live for something that's bigger than you, to to love others as though their lives matter just as much or more than yours, to do what is right even if it doesn't make you happy, and ultimately to live for... God himself, the one who matters most of all. But do you know what the problem is? I haven't lived up to that high standard and neither of you. And that's a fact that God takes very seriously because he takes us seriously. And that brings us to the second thing that shows that our lives matter. We've got a future that says our lives matter, Judgment Day, but it's the past that says exactly how much it matters. A day 2,000 years ago outside Jerusalem, Jesus died look again at hebrews 9 just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment so christ was sacrificed once to take the sins of many take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him jesus death was not like just any other notice it doesn't say that he he died it says he was sacrificed he was offered up If you go back to the the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, you read of people who who let God down, who broke his laws, who ignored and who even outright rejected God, showing that times haven't changed all that much. And because God takes us seriously, he, he took that seriously, he takes all of those things seriously. And so God gave a system of animal sacrifices. The animal would stand there in the person's place and would be killed instead so that the person could go away free, be forgiven which taught them, number one, that the way you treat the God, if you, if you treat the God who gave you life as though he doesn't matter, then you forfeit life and all the good things that go with it, death. But teaching also, secondly, the way out, a sacrifice to take your place, and that's how Jesus is described here as a sacrifice. In fact, the real sacrifice, all those others were just pictures, teaching them, pointing them to the one that would come, the one who would really, listen to this, Take away our sins. That's the best news you've ever heard. That's your only hope. Verse 28, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. God sent Jesus to die. Now, I've got three kids and they keep me busy and it's lots of fun and it's quite exhausting. Seems like someone's always crying at something. Now, despite that, which is really not that big of a thing... I can't think of many things that matter more to me than 
my kids. And I really struggle to think of anything that would make me willing to send one to die. What would make God do it? Send his son to be executed, blasted with his anger at sin. It's, it's, it's not that he loves his son any less than, than I do. This is his one and only son. The Bible says he loves his son. His love is more pure than any of our loves. Why would God the Father send him? Jesus, God the Son, why would... What could matter so much to Jesus, God the Son, that he would willingly go through that? Us. You and me, our souls, our eternal destinies, our relationship with him. God gave up his son's life so that you and I could be forgiven, could come back into relationship with him, could live forever with him in the new creation. Jesus stood in our place, bore the punishment that we deserved to bring us back to God. That's how much we matter. To him. There's an old movie, so old it was before I was even born. And uh, a woman in it is kidnapped. You might have heard of it. The, the husband finds out the ransom price and goes, ooh, that's a bit steep. You've got to drop it. So they lower it. Oh, still a bit much. So they lower it again. Then again. Finally, it's low enough and he pays. And the woman complains she felt like a Kmart special. Why would that offend the the, the wife? Because the amount you're willing to pay shows how much something matters to you. Well, there's no greater price that God could could, could pay than the life of his own son. Let me ask you, do you think that you are worth God dying for in Jesus? He does. He thinks you are. We are more precious to him than anything else in this world. But again, there's a flip side to it because it actually shows as well how much our sin matters to God. When Jesus stepped into our shoes, he died. What was it that killed him? It was our way of life. It was our approach to life that says, I want to do what I want to do, what what makes me happy. It was our selfishness. It was our greed. It was our arrogance. It was the times that we've used people, that you've used that girl, that you've lied, that you've cheated. Most importantly, and, and scooping all of those up into one thing, it's our indifference to God. The times we just couldn't be bothered to, to pay any attention to him or what he said. Sin. When all of that sin passed on to Jesus, God's fury at it killed him. And I think that comes as a shock because we think it's no big deal. They're just mistakes. You know, God seems pretty harmless. Letting him down, that's just part of life. Everybody's doing it. God's anger at those things is what killed Jesus. To God, the way I treat him matters. It matters life and death. And so let me just say, if nothing else happens for you today, don't walk out of here thinking, yeah, things will just be okay in the end. You can't just hope it'll go away. You matter too much to God for that. God won't just pretend that it's no big deal to him how you treat him. 
And the cross, Jesus' death, gives you a clue of how bad it will be on Judgment Day and beyond for those who say no to his offer of forgiveness. Because look at the lengths that he went to to save you from it. He thought it was worth the death of his own son to keep you out. If there's something that, yeah, I'd be a Christian except... What could possibly be worth missing out on on eternal life with God and going to hell for? God thought to save you from that was so valuable, so important, that, that that future is so bad that he gave his only son. I'm sorry, we're getting pretty um, pretty meaty here, but this matters. Jesus' death shouts at us that God will, will not just let us off for, for just, you know, just shrugging at him, being indifferent. No, wherever that attitude to him is found, no matter how small you might think it is, he takes it seriously. And so what I'm trying to do here is get you to see the problem with just treating Jesus as like an optional extra. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give him a go later on when things settle down, but you know, now I'm just going to have my fun. God, he gave the life of his only son for you. What could you possibly say to him? If, if just again tonight you just walk away and you ignore him and you think, eh, there are worse people than me, no big deal, I went my way, God went his, and he's still got the scars on his hands because of, that, he, that he got from, from dealing with what's wrong with that very attitude. If you walk away from this God through your life, you turn your back on love, the, the love of your whole life. The love that when you get it, it turns the lights on that makes sense of who you are and the love that fills every action that you have with with infinite meaning because you do it for the one who matters most. Let me bring it home to to, to what to take away from this. Tonight, realise that your life really matters, but more than that, realise the parts of your life that matter the most. Number one, God and how you treat him. The one who makes you matter matters most. And God wants you to know tonight that he made you to know him, to live for him, to live with him and to serve him. That's what life's about. Secondly, what matters most, your eternal destiny. Realize tonight that life is so short and nothing matters more than you getting right with God. The God who loved you so much, he died to save you. There is a day of judgment coming when he will ask you, what did you do with the Savior I sent you? Perhaps tonight is the night you you put an end to ignoring him and keeping him out. That would be a good idea. And instead you you, you accept the gift that he's given you, his son's life in your place so that you can be accepted by him completely forever. Receive his forgiveness. Make sure of where you stand with God before you face him. Now, if you're someone who's done that, do you see how this also adds one third thing that matters in life? As we live our lives for God, I think it'll come up on the slide. I forgot to put this one in the notes, but there you go. As we live our lives for God, we, we see that actually the thing that matters most as we live for him is helping others realize what matters most in their lives so that they can be with him forever. When I became a Christian, I cannot tell you the joy that I felt. There was a song we sang at the time. I know the sweet release of sins forgiven and all my shame is gone. I I couldn't believe it. 
Because I knew I was a sinner. I'd been carrying this baggage, this backpack of my guilt, and it was, it was like putting down a backpack. I was free of my past, free of my guilt. Up until that point, I'd lived with this kind of mask because I wasn't sure if, if I was worth anything. I wasn't sure if other people would like me. But all of a sudden, I realized I'm accepted by the God of the universe. He likes me. So who cares what they think? Now, I still struggle with that, of course. We all do. But I had that clarity. And thirdly, and this, this shot through me like a bolt of lightning, I've got to tell people about this so that they can know this joy and this love that I've found, this hope for eternity. And so tonight, where are you at with this? Have you received Jesus' sacrifice? Let me do what I'm here on the planet to do. Let me call you to put your trust in Jesus. How do you do that? Well, first of all, just quickly, how you don't do that. Don't do it by trying to be better. If you do that, you miss the whole point of the sacrifice. Many religions, even, even whole churches, teach that you're saved, at least in part, by what you do. But it says he was the sacrifice that took away our sins. You don't need, if he did that, what do you need to do? In fact, it says, uh, the, the slide's gone, but if you've got your passage there, verse 28, it says all that's left for you to do. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those, not who are working hard to earn it, who are waiting for him. That's all it takes. You wait for him. So how do you do that? Well, you, you, you put Jesus back at the center of your life. You say, okay, yeah, you are the Lord, and I need you as a saviour. And you trust him and you wait for him. And if you do that, it will change your life. It turned my life upside down ever since. God's been helping me shake out all the junk and there's a lot left. There's a long way to go. But if you knew me before, if you've watched the journey, the change is real. God has been at work. And so let me just say this. If you were to become a Christian, that is a big decision. It's in many ways the biggest you can make because it's actually a decision about who will own your life. But in some ways, it's a very easy decision because it's just facing reality. He already does own your life. You've just been pretending he doesn't. And the way it happens is you just turn back to God in prayer and you just say, I'm sorry, please forgive me and help me now live for you. You could use a prayer a bit like this. God, I know I've been guilty of leaving you out of my life. I don't deserve the gift of Jesus' life. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus to be a sacrifice so I can be forgiven. Please forgive me and change me so that I will live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. I'm going to leave that on the screen. And I might encourage you, if you're thinking about this, write that down or take a photo of it. Because you don't need an opportunity. You don't need a moment to do this. You could do this. In fact, let me encourage you. Tonight, before you go to bed, reflect on where do you stand with God. Pray a prayer like this if, if you want to come back to him. If you're not ready to do that, it's fine to need to keep investigating. You know, It's a big decision, as I said. But don't just say, I'll keep investigating and not do anything. Get a Bible. Read, read the Gospel of Luke, for example. Is this Jesus someone that I, I can entrust my life to? Does it have the, the, the ring of truth to it? Come to the Life Series. Keep coming back here. But you, you may know enough to just start over with God now. I'm going to pray that now, and if you want to, you can actually just do it right now. Let me pray. I'll pause after each line, and you can echo it in your heart if you like.
If you've prayed it a hundred times, it's still a good prayer to pray. God, I know I've been guilty of leaving you out of my life. I don't deserve the gift of Jesus' life. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus to be a sacrifice so I could be forgiven. Please forgive me and change me so that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. Now, if you have done that, actually, that's that's fantastic news. Jesus says that he's thrilled, God the Father is thrilled, the angels are thrilled, they're rejoicing in heaven. You're a baby Christian, what what do babies need? I should know this by now. Um, Food, love, I'm sure there's something else, but let's just start with food and love. Food, what's the food? The food is the Bible. If you've decided I'm going to come back to God, then listen to what he's saying to you. Get a Bible, start reading it. The book of Luke's a good place to start. And you need love. God's put you in a family. This is your family. Keep coming to church. Let, let the family of God love you as a baby Christian as you grow. But let's celebrate what God's done. I'll hand over to these guys.